Hello and welcome to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. This is Christian with my co-host John. Chris still on vacation, but he'll be joining us soon. But we have Ray here back for episode 12. So we I'm can... back. I'm back. I'm ready to do this, man. Yeah, no, and we wanted to have him back because, you know, he has so much to say and so many stories. We wanted to give him an episode where he can tell us more of the origins of the previous club and then the origins of this club and how he was a part of that from the very beginning. Well, you know, if you're uh, ever around the ultras, everybody knows about story time with Ray. It's one of everybody's favorite things to do. This man has so many, so many amazing stories about things that have happened in the history of supporter culture throughout his life. And, uh, you know, thank you, Ray, for coming back in and sitting down with us here. So first, we'd just like to say, you know, thank you for showing up and spending some time and cracking a beer with us and telling us some stories, brother. Yeah. Uh, thank you for inviting me again, man. Let's do this. Yeah. Wh- why don't you tell us a little bit about your backstory? Like, did you grow up playing soccer? Who did you follow? Who do you still follow? How did you become a football fan? I'll start real quick. I was born in Mexico. I was born in Zamora, Michoacan. Uh, I had the opportunity to come to the United States when I was about 12. I went to San Fernando Middle School, played ball there, sell my high. I was going to be professional, but I fucked up my knee. And uh, I played defense, so it was good, man. I've, I've loved the sport, been a Guadalajara fan since since I can remember. So you big, big Chivas Guadalajara fan. So this last episode, we talked about Almeida and Chivas. Is that like a bittersweet, or are you just full black and gold now? Uh, it's full, I mean, it, I, I cannot say I'm full black and gold because I got the love from my team. But definitely, LAFC has taken a big part of my heart. Awesome. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense because I feel the same way. I, I mean, I support other teams, but the one I live and can go to the stadium and feel is that black and gold, the LAFC. Definitely. Being part of this, it's, it's amazing. I think that's one thing I love about LAFC. All of us were fans of another team. Well, most of us were fans of another team. There are a few people who this is the first you know, soccer football club that they've ever supported. And it's cool to see new fans, people who are new to the sport coming in. But for the rest of us, we all had a team that we supported prior to coming to LAFC. And the fact that we've been able to put those allegiances or, 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 you know, the fact that we can stand shoulder to shoulder with people who supported our rivals and stuff like that really speaks a lot to the culture behind LAFC. And, you know, speaking of which, Ray, you have been involved in LAFC since the club was first announced. Can you tell us your experience in this club's founding and what was that like? Man, that day was crazy. I, I can still remember if I close my eyes. Last game of the season, it was uh, Chivas USA versus San Jose Earthquakes. We beat them 1-0. At that time, we didn't know what was going to happen with the franchise. We had talked with the commissioner, Don Garver. He had gave us his word that he was not going to take the franchise anywhere. At that time, our president of the club was Nelson Rodriguez. And I remember almost begging Nelson. I'd be like, hey, tell us something, man. We cannot leave the, 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 the pitch or the stands without us knowing that the club is not going to go somewhere else. And I remember he looked at me and Julio, and he was like, just expect a call tomorrow. You know, so Monday comes, we're, we're just anxious, just looking at the phone, like, what time is it going to ring? So we finally got a call. I was like, all right, you have a press pass uh, for one invite at this location. Show up as the announcement of the new franchise of Los Angeles, Los Angeles Football Club. So that's how it started. That was day one. And we roll up. I went with Julio, and Julio was like, hey, don't worry, compadre. I'm going to get you access right now. I'm like, don't trip. If you're there, it's like if I'm there, right? 
But you know, I mean, you can't you can teach uh, old tricks to a crook or a dog. Or, how does oh, it go? Old dogs, new tricks. There you go. Yeah. So I'm right there waiting for Hulu to call me, and I was like, you know what? Screw that. I'm just gonna go to the top. So, but before the press conference is done, I'm already chilling, drinking in the bar. But <laughs> <laughs> so some of the people out there, the so Hulu calls me like, "Hey, I'm gonna get you in right now." I'm like, dude, I'm already in. What are you talking about? <laughs> so what was that conversation like? How did it go down? How did they announce the death of Chivas USA and the birth of LAFC? Well, when, when it happened, when the announcement of LAFC, all the ownership was there. I remember it was me, I have Nomar, it was uh, Magic Johnson, Henry Nguyen, and all the new ownership, you know? I mean, at that time, Wilfire was not even in the picture. It was just an, a crazy experience. To get to talk to the commissioner, and, and like we talk in the bus, a lot of people talk bad about the commissioner. But to us, you know, he earned his respect. Even though being a businessman, he gave us his word and he kept it. So when we saw him up there, he just looked at me and Hula was like, oh, shit, I'm not going to get rid of you guys, huh? I'm like, no, we're here to stay. Thank you, commissioner, for keeping your word, you know? And at that time, that's when we saw Henry Nguyen and Tom Penn. We approached them and we told them who we were, and they were like, all right, cool, man, thank you for coming. And I told them the same thing. We're not going away. You're just going to keep us in us. And to this day, man, it's it's been it's been a ride. You had a really interesting conversation with Mr. Wynn that night about LAFC's coaching opportunities. Can you speak a little bit about that oh, conversation? So, so, so I remember the first meeting that LAFC called to their fans. It happened at the Red Lion in Santa Monica. And they were expecting a lot of people, I guess. But only the magical eight showed up. Six of them were ultras. So we're talking, right? And at that time, Tom Pan was like, he was expecting more people to show up, you know? And, it, and nobody showed up. It was just us. And we started talking about football. We started giving the, him or them our vision of what we saw in the club or how we thought the club was going to be successful, you know? And, I mean, I could see it in his eyes, you know? He was like, eh, yeah, you're crazy, you know? It's like, this is not the way we run the business, you know? But And I told him, this is a different business, you know? It's... This is football. You know, you yeah. want to be successful. You, 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 you get the people involved. You get the raza. You get the community involved behind it. So we're just talking, right? And then Henry asked me, all right, Jose, so if you were the owner of LAFC, who would you hire as a coach? I was like, Bob Bradley, right on the spot. Wow. <laughs> and then he asked me why, you know. So I go, my reasons, you know. It's, he knows the league. He knows uh, the way the American players built, you know. And, you know, he understands working with youth and bringing two or three uh, very solid, experienced players and making a successful team, which is what we're seeing on the pitch now. Yeah, you heard it here, Bob Bradley, thanks to <laughs> Ray Mysterio. So there, there you go. He's the recruiter of the recruiter. <laughs> wow, so you put that idea in their mind. I mean, it, it at least probably made him explore it sooner than later. At the very when middle. Bob Bradley was presented, I remember we were, uh, we were at the museum in, in L.A., and I remember straight up looking at Tom, looking eye to eye, and he just looked at me, just shaking his head, like, like saying, "If I, I if I was happy, I was ready to jump, man. I was, I was like, you know, I was happy." That's awesome. So going from that first meeting where there was eight, and you telling the ownership your ideas, right? Did you feel like they were like embracing the ideas? They they listened to you, and then the the meetings after that progressively got bigger and bigger when you guys were able to bring more and more people so they can share ideas, or did it take a lot longer than that? No, it, it didn't take a lot longer. I, th I think businessmen or business people, they know when somebody speaks from the heart, you know? And uh, Like, for example, me, Julio, and we have other leaders, 
you know, like Jimmy, uh, Joseph Sacker. You know, when when we when we talk about the the sport, when we talk about the culture, you know, we're we're people that can transmit what we're saying. It's not like we're just talking out of our asses. You know, it's not that I'm just telling you what you want to hear. You know, because we lived it, we've we've been in it, and we haven't figured out the formula, but we're very close because you can see it. That's awesome. So they they immediately is like, you know what? They they're they're onto something, and we want more people to embrace the team and. Now, now it's multiplied, right? It yeah. was probably the original eight. Now it's thirty-two fifty-two. So, uh, I think, and I, I mean, we all saw that ESPN uh, uh, kind of documentary that they made, and they they show a little bit of that progression with the originals, um, the original eight, and how that grew over time. I think that speaks volumes. To your point, businessmen usually can see someone that's like a supporter and speak from the heart, but not every team necessarily acts on it, right? You can you can definitely see that. The guys across the, across the city, they still think it's a corporation. <laughs> right. No, and, you know, like people that love football in the city, and they were the team that was winning championships, but I felt like they were buying them. It's not like the stands, when I would go to those matches, I never felt moved, you know, the way I feel moved at every game, or I look forward to just... Even going to the stadium, like the result is only a, the cherry on top for us, and the style that we play is great to me. And like the stands, the atmosphere. You know how you talked about the the haka. Yeah. Two matches ago at home, you know, the first time everyone was looking around and was like, "Oh, what's going on?" Like it's everyone's engaged. But the third time we did it, the whole stadium was involved. The 90th minute when the game ended, I I was getting chills after we scored at the end of the game and the whole stadium was chanting together. Like that was something I dreamt of too. Yeah, it's uh, I mean th- those are the experiences that you're going to take. They don't have a price. Yeah, I think you know that Haka chant is really cool. I mean, even just the word Haka harkens back to so many emotional moments on a pitch for people who are not really familiar with where that comes from or what that term is. You know, the haka is, you know, one of the Maori war chants the native people of New Zealand are known. And if you ever watch rugby, I'm a rugby fan. I actually got a chance to go down to New Zealand and attend their big sevens tournament one year down in Wellington and see the All Blacks, the the national team, the national rugby team for New Zealand perform a haka and the whole stadium, away supporters, home supporters, away team, Everyone stops and pays attention to the haka. And it's this big, powerful war chant that their team does on the field while facing their opponent. And the fact that our chant harkens that same name and brings that sort Mm -hmm. of emotional passion to where we were able to silence a stadium and do something fairly emotional from the stands is pretty cool. You know, supporters are obviously something that you know pretty well. You've actually worked with supporters for other clubs to help develop support across the league. Can you speak a little bit about the formation of that group, its title, and its functions? The Independent Supporter Council. Man, check this out. It was crazy because, like, every great story starts with some crazy people, right? And I, 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 <laughs> I, I remember back in 2007, you know, when, we, when she was USA used to play Carson, they would tell us, you can bring 20 flags, three drums, and the day of the match where we're going to check in, there'll be like three flags, one drum. We're like, what the hell? I mean, why, you know? And we were getting that stuff all the time. You know, same thing with ticket allocation. They were always changing the rules. So I was talking to Julio, and I'm like, Julio, we got to do something about this. It's like MLS, it's uh, advertising their supporters and what we do, and but at the same time, they're, they're restricting what we're doing, right? Which was throwing the confetti, the smoke, 
Um, I mean, at that time we had a we had to buy a fog machine because we couldn't even pop smoke. Yeah, but so, of course, in every one of their advertisements and every one of the photos yeah. that would come out for marketing, it's it's people going crazy with smoke yeah. and all that stuff. But then those fans were you know getting in trouble for doing it. In the same respect, they're using that for all their marketing. So it's, yeah. So we started reaching out. You know, the first group that I reached out was the Portland Timbers. I reached out to them because they have a big rivalry with uh, Seattle. You know, and I was like, hey, you guys, you know, we've been having these problems over here. Do you guys get that a lot over there? And we're like, you know what? It's always a problem with allocation tickets. Every time that we travel, they always try to hold us back. You know, there's times where our people don't even get to go to the game because there's no more tickets, even though there's empty seats, you know? So so we started throwing the, the idea. And uh, in, in 2009 for the MLS Cup, I remember it was Carson Galaxy versus Salt Lake in Seattle. We got together with Seattle fans, Timbers, San Jose, Dallas, and I think it was Kansas City. So we started talking about this idea of forming a group, you know, an independent supporters, where we can request meetings with the league, you know, with people that can make a change because we were tired of talking to the front offices and and not really getting response because every time it was, well, the league doesn't permit it, you know? And we said, well, who's the league, you know? I mean, the culture doesn't grow if the sport doesn't grow if the fans are not there. But... You know, we need to get answers. We need to get, you know, some type of structure for us to move forward and, and so we can do what we do and understand what they expect, right? Because at that time, that never happened. So that's how it started. started in 2009, 2010, and it started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And right now, it's just a huge monster, man. Right now, there's so many supporters that are affiliated to the Independent Supporter Council that it's amazing. Julio was just there in Dallas uh, two months ago, and, and dude, it's 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 crazy. What yeah. is the function of it today? How does it operate, yeah. and what does it do? How does it go about doing what it needs to do for the fans? Well, it's like in in every stadium, there's always incidents. You know, stuff happens. You know, fights, arguments. Sometimes people get mistreated, and when we feel that there's something that it's not right, we always bring it up to uh, to the ISC. For example, the Chicago Fire sector Latino. That they had some problems with the front office, they brought it over, you know, they analyze the problem and they go back to the league and be like, okay, what's going on? What's happening? So there's backup to the supporters that are not just that team, you know what I'm saying? So that's how they go about it. And I mean, it's, it's, it's worked great. The way it operates, it's, it's a, such a support that it's just, you don't feel alone as a supporter. I think personally, it's really cool that. You know, on the pitch, on game day, we're there to support our opposite teams and, and we're working against one another. But, you know, behind the scenes, these supporters groups from each club are standing shoulder to shoulder and yeah. trying to work to progress the culture around the league. That's a beautiful thing. And I don't think a lot of our supporters know that, you know, people like yourself and Julio were involved in the formation of that and still key players in it to this day. Yeah, no, that's awesome that there's structure and organization to have a, a bigger voice to go back at the league and say, this is why we feel this thing is unfair. We just want to help you and help ourselves be better and be safer. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's and that's the main point of it, you know, because we're all crazy. You know, we're all crazy for the sports. We all want to go there and light up flares and do this and do that. But we have to understand there's certain things that we cannot do. And just for safety reasons, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you see other stadiums around the world, they just go mad, but they don't show what happens, man. I mean, there's a lot of accidents that happen with the flares. Yeah. You know, people getting burned, but, like, you never see none of that stuff 
on the different social media outlets. So everybody thinks that it's safe. You know, there is like just like a light. It's not a light. It burns and it burns bad, man. <laughs> so, you know, talk about an amazing experience that you had an opportunity to be a part of last year. And this was featured in that same ESPN like docu-series. You know, you were one of the people that were selected to go to Dortmund because not only were you one of the founders of the supporter union, but you also had the opportunity to go to Germany and learn from one of the more you know, world-renowned, world-known supporter groups and, you know, huge stands in terms of the yellow wall at Dortmund. It's it's impressive. When you walk into the stadium and you see the yellow wall, you, you just, you're speechless. It's like there's no word that can describe when they sing, you never walk alone. There's not one word that can describe that emotion. It was something else, man. It, but you see... When, when, when now that you think back about that Dortmund trip and what we're living here, Dortmund was built by the people, you know? It's successful because of the people. The people feel like they own the club, that like they're, they're part of it. They're, they're heart and soul, it's part of the club. And I think that's something that we are accomplishing with LAFC and with our fan base. Because, you know, we have some knuckleheads here and there, and we always tell them, hey, dude, this is your house. Don't throw that trash there, dude. Pick it up. You know, so so people don't think about it that way. But when you start putting that little seed of saying, like, don't do this because it's your house. Don't do this because that's not right. You wouldn't do it in front of your mom. You know, people start changing and start acting different. And that's one of the things that we saw in Dorman. You know, yeah, you have your hardcore fans and ultras, right? But then again, you, ha- you, have, you have the community behind the club, you know, that supports and embraces it in all the ways. Dorman's a beautiful city. I've had the pleasure of going there. It gets the rap of being you know, a manufacturing town, a coal town, a machine work town. I mean, it has that kind of Pittsburgh Steel City kind of vibe to it on paper. But when you get into the town, I mean, it's it's beautiful gardens, it's beautiful pubs. I mean, the German National Team Museum is there. There's so many cool things to do. They have a really, you know, avant-garde art museum and all that stuff as well, too. So, I mean, I think it's a town that has this global image of being very industrial and very hardcore in that respect. But when you go there, it is a very, very tight-knit community. I mean, they are obsessed with British Dortmund and and that's awesome uh, you know that they have that kind of support but it's a beautiful community and I'm ecstatic that our club chose that one culture as one day. What kind of lessons did you learn while you were out there? When I was there you know I mean to me one of my main things was like how can they get 20,000 supporters to get on the stadium an hour before the match and not be outside drinking because that's what we usually do you know. It was a great experience just to be there but also there was things that I was looking to nature me or give me more as a fan, you know, to learn. And that was one of them. I was like, how do they do it? And it's it was very simple, man. It's cheap beer. <laughs> cheap beer, you get the people inside the stadium early. You know, you put the concessions, you put the hot dogs, you put the food, uh, the food right there by the tunnel, and that's how people go in. You know, I think their, their beer was $3.50. You had like a little carry-on with five beers and the ones you take in your hand. You're good for halftime, man. Oh, they, they yeah. let you take six? Yeah, they let you take six. So you can go to the stands and you have your full beers for one for, uh, full half and, and you're good. This is probably one of my favorite subtleties of the German language. So when you go to Westfalenstadium and uh, you order one of these kits of beer, it's like these cardboard carriers that hold multiple beers. And the name in German for these cardboard carriers is Handtasche, which literally translates to man's purse. Which I think is hilarious. Oh my God. I have one of those in my house. Right here. 
you know, I mean, I, I obviously uh, California, for, for sure. Los Angeles <laughs> law is never going to let us have one of those things. But you know, maybe we just need to construct our own and go through the line twice. Well, I think what needs to happen is the wall needs to get that big at the Bank of California Stadium because logistically it makes sense. Why would you want to have ridiculous lines to get maximum to beers at that point? The wall is so big, you want to at least give them three or four because... So right now, right now with the beer showers, man, you know, I'm talking to the big people in there. I'm like, look, every time I go grab a beer, walking down, they score, I got to throw it, and then I got to go back make line. We got to give us a discount. So I'm pushing for us to get a discount after we score a goal. (laughs) So we can go get refills. You're a marketing genius. Rich, if you're listening. Um, Yeah. yeah, um, Yeah, I think that's a brilliant idea. I really do. You know, beer showers have become a wonderful but expensive thing, especially with all these second-half goals that we've been scoring. Uh, I love it. Guys, don't stop scoring the goals. But, yeah, I think that would be great for, you know, the 10 minutes after a a goal scores. Or or maybe it's time we just, you know, get some beer service down in the stands or something like that as well, too. There's there's places for this to go, although I don't think the uh, the head and hand tashas are coming anytime soon, unfortunately. No, that'd be great. I know we briefly talked about it in the last episode, episode 11, that you have a hand in the TFOs and the open day TFO, but you know maybe go more in depth in terms of the logistics or um, who comes up with the concepts or the idea or the words that go on there because they're very meaningful and I, I know that a lot goes into that and at least the opening day one you you have a couple months to think about it talk about that process yeah you ran that whole project for the opening day TFO correct yeah it's crazy man we have a great team that helps us put everything together. So the way it works is uh, we just start throwing random ideas, you know, of uh, what we see. We 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 pick we pick one or three things that we want to focus and be like, okay, this is this is the message we want to send. Let your, uh, send that information to your group and let them go wild. Just submit your designs, whatever, by uh, this date, and then and then we'll start voting. And that's that's how pretty much it works. Right now, as we go, we're getting better and better. You know, it's like it's like everything else. You know, we have a lot of new guys that are new to the culture that are just barely showing up to TFOs. And, you know, by the second time they show up, they have they come with different ideas of how to do it better, how to make it faster. So, I mean, it's it's just the teamwork. And like, like I said on the other episode, you have an opportunity to show up, man, because it's such a pleasure when, when you see your hard work put in on the stance. I mean, it's, it's priceless. And when we talk about the logistics, we're talking about everything. Of walking to downtown, buying the fabric, getting the stuff sewn, getting it delivered, taking it to a parking lot, open it, you know, mark the grids, you know, showing up to another place another day, tracing it, showing up to another place, open it, lay it out, and then start doing all the work. Do you get good deals down in Santiales now that they know you or no? <laughs> I got uh, special discounts. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've been shopping there for a long time, almost 15 years, so they know who I am. I like it. So you, they know you. You go to one place now yes. because they know that you're going to come back for a lot of fabric. Definitely. They're like, oh, my God, you again. <laughs> hey, but I'm always bringing the business. Yeah, no, well, and, you know, too. I mean, those things are heavy. I mean, I've helped, you know, wheel them in and help set them up and do that kind of stuff with you guys before. And it's uh, those things are heavy. It is a lot of work that goes into that. You know, people look at us and think that the club is chipping in for that stuff. The money for those TFOs comes from the 3252. You know, that is internally generated right there. To say that we were able to put something that massive together is pretty amazing. And this is why it's very important for everybody out there to go out and purchase their membership. You see, guys, mm-hmm. without your help, tables are not going to happen. Tables are very expensive. A lot of work goes into it. And if you don't believe me, just show up. 
come on, participate, be there. Because like I'm telling you, it's not easy, but it's very rewarding when you see the final product on the pitch. So please, next game against Cincinnati, rush the Christmas tree lane and purchase your membership. It's only 30 bucks. You get a nice car, pin, and, and you're part of the crew, man. Yeah, really important that you have your membership. If you want to rep LAFC in the community and you're behind what the 3252 is doing in the stands in the community, pay for those memberships, please. Any support we can get to help put those TFOs together would be pretty amazing. No, definitely purchase a membership. It's just right now, 3252 is so popular that they ran out of scarf. They sold out. You could think it was Coachella on the first day of the game because they sold out immediately. But you can still purchase the membership and you're going to get your scarves as soon as humanly possible because the design is beautiful. I know that that was also supporter sourced and everything that goes on in the North End and everyone else purchases because I, I, I'm going to be honest and I said it before, I don't even sit there because when I first bought my tickets, I, I didn't know, right? I didn't know what I know now. And I've been there a couple of times and it's just a whole different experience. But you can sit anywhere and you can buy those scarves and that membership because... At the end of the day, you're supporting a lot of the different projects that happen and are sponsored by the North End. Yeah, whether you're under the TFO banging on it or you're looking at it from across the stadium, it's still a beautiful thing to be a part of. You know, and you're not just a part of that one TFO. I mean, you look at, you know, our home opener this time, we had all the, the gold foil that's throughout the stadium. I mean, that's part of it as well, too. You know, so if you get a chance to volunteer paint and volunteer setting those things up or, uh, you know, when the time comes, just picking it up and waving it. If you think those are a beautiful thing to be a part of, you know, help out with the 3252. And, you know, 3252, I know, is something that is very near and dear to, to your heart, Ray, being, uh, you know, one of our founders. So when you look at it today, what is the one thing about the 3252 that you're the most proud of? Uh, it's definitely the unity. We had our struggles. Nothing has been uh, perfect, but I think... The people that we have met, the different leaders from all the other groups, we get it. We understand the monster that we have in our hands, the beauty of it, you know. And, and like I tell everybody, and I have to say this bad word because this is the way I say it. We got to take care of these baby motherfuckers. You know, we got to teach them right. We got to do it right. You know, because I tell them, this is what we're going to leave to our kids. So if we screwed up, if, if we build a really shitty supporter culture, our kids are, are going to deal with it. We don't want that. You know, we want to make it nice and smooth. So when they're ready to take over, they'll be like, oh, shit, the, the old man did some work. <laughs> so m moving forward, like, what is the next thing you think the 3252 is going to accomplish? And beyond that, like, what for your kids, if, you know, when they become part of the 3252 actively and, you know, doing things and leading things? Right now, in, in the short term, you know, it's uh, it, everything's small process. Baby steps, like I tell everybody. You know, we right now we have these chants that are very catchy, very easy for everybody to learn, you know. And, for example, us in District 9, we have more complex songs that, you know, they actually do have a message to the players and, and, and bring that passion on the stands, right? And this is what we tell everybody, you know. It's like, you got to learn them. You know, it's like, well, Ray, I don't really speak Spanish. It's like, dude, just listen, listen, listen. And you learn them, you know. Yeah. We have uh, we have a lot of hueros that know yeah. Somos del Barrio Angelino, yeah. you know, like a bunch of the Spanish songs. But it's, like I tell them, it's how much you want it. You know, and, I, and even I tell them, if it's so hard that you cannot understand it, participate. You know, if you're not singing, grab a flag, jump. You know, participate on whatever we're doing on the atmosphere. Uh, and you're contributing to what we're doing. 
Yeah, look, I mean, I, I don't speak Spanish. If you listen to this podcast, you've obviously heard me stumble through a little bit of it at this point in time. But, I mean, here's proof right here from my wallet. Like, here's laminated chants in Spanish flashcards that I make to learn this stuff, right? Um, part of what shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder means to me uh, is standing side-by-side -side those people in the community that, you know, English is their second language. And, and if they have to in order to exist within the fabric of the Los Angeles society, spend all this time to grasp English. You know, the least I can do when I'm standing shoulder to shoulder next to them in this community is to learn a few chants in Spanish. You know, I mean, California used to be part of Mexico. You know, we can't say that any one person owns this. We all share this, you know, and, and obviously, you know, we don't live in the Angel City. We live in Los Angeles. I mean, the name of our city is in Spanish. This is part of our culture, part of our community. And one thing that shoulder to shoulder means to me is attempting to learn those chants in Spanish. The first one I learned was Que Bonito Es. And, and I was so stoked when I finally learned it. And I thought Somos del Barrio Angelino was going to be so hard to learn. And I have to say that it's hands down my favorite chant now. Mm -hmm. You know, its origins, obviously, you know, Boca Juniors as well, too. But I mean, I love the credence in there as well, too. And there's so much about of it that I love. And learning those chants means a lot to me. But Ray, I'm curious because shoulder to shoulder is obviously a big theme to Christian and I. It's something that, you know, we've named this show after. What does shoulder to shoulder mean to you? Shoulder to shoulder, to me, it's, it goes beyond uh, friendship. You know, it's, it's, it's a belief. You know, it's, uh, for example, when we talk about the culture, you know, uh, I stand next to somebody that, that has the same passion that I do. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter the color, the race. You know, sex, you know, shoulder to shoulder, just being there for one another. Beautiful, man. I love it. So of all the clubs out there that would be begging for a supporter like yourself, why LAFC? LAFC is something that is going to be here for generations and generations and generations. And I want my kids, 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 kids to talk about this and say that, you know, her great, great, great grandfather was part of it. You know, it was part of building a, a great club with a great community that really represents where they were born and the, where they were raised. You know, that's well said. That's one thing we ask every guest, and we appreciate you being here with us today to share all these stories. You know, do you have any final parting words before we close the show? Well, I got to tell you a story, man. Where oh, they call please. me Ray. Yeah. Oh, yeah, story time oh. with the Ray. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, yeah so, I, we'll do it real quick. Uh, I, was, uh, no. I, was, I was back in uh, 2005. I started showing up to the Chivas USA games, rolling up with the Ray Mysterio mask, right? And I would go there with my kids. I had my, my son. He was, uh, was going to turn three, and my daughter was about to turn four. So I'm always cheering, going nuts every single game. Till after five or six game, I actually get an invite to show up to one of the viewing parties. So I roll up to a viewing party without a mask. And then, you know, the, well, a lot of supporters are very you know, protective or, or of, their, of, the, of the group or their info and everything. So they were looking at me like, who the hell are you, man? Carson fan, or you're an America fan trying to infiltrate? I'm like, hell no, dude, I'm the guy with the Rey Mysterio mask. And then I was like, oh, shit, you're Rey Mysterio. So then uh, that's how I got introduced to everybody as Rey Mysterio. Oh, yeah. And that's how the nickname came aboard. Oh, I can certainly understand people not recognizing you without the mask. Um, you know, I get that all the time. I go, oh, you're the guy with the mask. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, you know. That's cool, man. The origin story of the name Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio. Yeah. I mean... I didn't know your real name until the bus ride. <laughs> Not a lot of people yeah, know yeah, 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 yeah. So, and, you know, I want to say thank you for the bus ride. No, I, I got to hear some of these stories and more stories. And to your point on the previous episode is, you know, go to these activities. And if you have a chance to go to a away game where you're going to sit next to someone you've never met, do it. 
because you're going to meet so many different types of people. And that's, you know, the stories that we try to tell on the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast, you know, ask questions of people that we feel are passionate or they chose, you know, this team for a particular reason. You know, we just want to know those stories because I think they're definitely something that needs to be told, which is why we feel very proud of the name of the podcast. And very fortunate to have you on. Um, There's a lot of stories out there throughout the North End and throughout Bank of California and and our community as a whole that we'd like to help tell as well, too. So if you're a fan out there and you have a story about this club, about supporter culture, and you want to use this podcast as an avenue to tell that, please reach out to us through our website, lafcs2s.com. You can find email addresses for all three hosts on there and reach out to us. And, you know, as much fun as we've had with story time with Ray, maybe story time with you is, is just is impactful. Ray, Jefe, gracias. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, man. Hopefully next season we can get you back on and we can continue story time with Ray next season. And yeah, we... we'll talk about our championship story. Oh, <laughs> I can't wait for that episode. Speaking of the LAFC community, I want to throw one thing out there real quick before we close up the show today. And this message goes out to anyone who has served for the armed forces but is a member of the LAFC community. There is a new subsection of the 3252 forming by a gentleman named David. You can find him online um, on Twitter and Instagram at this one time in LA. Again, that's at this one time in LA. If you are a veteran and you are currently active within the LAFC community, they are looking to put together a support group made up of supporters groups. So this is open to anyone who is a member of a supporters group. It is not going to be something that takes you away from your supporters group or your family there. We are simply looking to help people in the community uh, who are veterans that are looking for that veteran specific support, something that you can only get from your fellow brothers and sisters in arms there. I think it's a really cool project. It, as of right now, does not have a name. But this is actually something that prior to Mandy's illness last year, I was very, very passionate about and involved in. I grew up in a military family. Both of my grandfathers served. I grew up next to Camp Pendleton. My grandfather was a major general in the Marine Corps. So I know military culture and lifestyle pretty well. And for the Borussia Dortmund game, actually, I was uh, taking my little brother through the Air and Space Museum. And we saw the F-16 Fighting Falcon hanging in the lobby, pointed right at Bank of California Stadium. And of course, at that game uh, is when Ken and Ollie come out and we get introduced to the whole LAFC Falcon. And to me, it was just such a connection and I felt such a calling there that I actually went out, spent a bunch of my own money, had a bunch of creative put together for this concept of Fighting Falcons doing something to support those veterans within our community. I'm happy to say that I have surrendered all of that creative to David and his team, that some of it is going to be used within their upcoming. So if you are a veteran, please reach out to David at this one time in LA. And whatever that ends up becoming, as far as its name, it's really cool that I've been able to help him in that process. And I'm stoked on him going forward. He is an ex-Marine himself. Hoorah, Semper Fi, brother. Hope you're listening to the show, and I hope this goes extremely well for our community. Let's not forget that Chris was a former Navy man himself, so he's excited about the opportunity to be part of that. And I really wish he was here to help us tell this story, but, uh, you know, he's still uh, nursing that hangover from Gay Perry, buddy. So, uh, you know, Chris will be back with us, and, you know, hopefully we'll get David on here pretty soon, and we can talk a little bit more about this. And whatever name they go forward with, I think it's really cool that they're out there supporting our veterans, and I hope that this is something that takes flight. Well said. Well, so thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Ray. 
Ray Mysterio, as I should say. And we're signing off here. All right, you guys. So roll up. Show up. Take it away, Sticks. Showed up to showed up. Together, this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us old mommy, about to drop her fifth. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.